Welcome to the Ripple Effect Podcast. I'm Claire Ems and I'm talking positive parenting and positive development. I'll also be interviewing some amazing people who use their passions to spread the ripple effect to many other people. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so today I'm speaking to Jessica Princely, or Jess, as she is known. Uh, Jess is an animal behaviorist. Uh, we connected through Facebook as the only two positive discipline parent educators that we know of. Um, and I'm really excited to hear more about animal behavior and how you feel it relates to positive discipline. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great. So uh, to start with, what, I, what I'm trying to do at each interview is ask people if they have a favorite parenting quote. So do you have any favorites that you would like to share? Well, I think from positive discipline, the hands down, it must be that children who feel better do better because I think that encompasses the entire um, bottom line foundation of what positive discipline is, is that if we look at their emotions and we actually address emotions, then the behavior will follow suit. And it's the same with animals. Um, so it just makes so much sense to me. That one by far is my favorite quote. Okay. That's actually my favorite as well. So yeah, I love that one. It, like you say, it sums up positive discipline, <laughs> like everything. Yeah. yeah. And when in doubt, it's such an easy thing to remember that, if, that when you're watching your child um, uh, behaving badly, or, or I say badly in inverted commas, but if they're misbehaving, um, there's certain things like, you know, a discouraged child is a misbehaving child. That's also something that also is very um, uh, uh, prevalent in the whole uh, discipline, but it's not as, as quick to remember. Um, hmm. You just if he's not feeling great. That's why he's behaving this way, yeah. whether it's physically or emotionally, it's, it just sums everything up. So it makes yeah. so much sense to remember that in the moment when it's so hard to remember things. Yeah. So true. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. So then uh, what I'm really interested to hear about is your, what you find are the similarities and differences between the animal behavior side of things and the, Oh, actually, sorry, before I go into that, I want to hear how you got into animal behavior and yeah, and eventually positive discipline. Well, the animal behavior thing, I actually used to be a video editor and um, I was just volunteering at a, an animal shelter. And um, during that time, my one cat had to go to the vet because she was hit by a car. And when I brought her back, even though the cat that I still had at home was pining for her every day, when she came home, it was like the cat had an, an amnesia and had completely forgotten her friend. Um, and so while I was volunteering, I'd met someone who I knew was studying animal behavior. So I just sent her an email saying, hey, could you possibly help me? And she did. Um, it was a few things that fell together, fell in place, and she came to help me. And uh, what I learned was that I had loved animals forever, but I actually knew nothing about them because everything I thought that I knew was actually wrong. Sure. Um, and it's, it's sort of everything that you think is conventional wisdom seemed to be wrong. I can compare it a little bit to if you imagine two children fighting over the same toy, um, you would imagine that the conventional, conventional wisdom would be to take the toy away. Well, I'm not going to let you play with it if you can't play together nicely. Mm -hmm. And then the more you learn about these things, you learn how that's not a great response to have. And it's very similar with animals. So from there, I found out where she was studying and I started studying. And through that, I became... Um, I started working for the Center of Applied Pet Ethology and so lecturing and tutoring for them as well. Oh, wow. That's, it's really fascinating. Like I'd love to, yeah, that's why we, yeah, I'd love to just hear more. So, <clears throat> so leading on from that then, I'd love to hear what your take is on the similarities and differences between the animal behavior and the child behavior. I'm just so interested to hear. <laughs> 
Well, there are there are more similarities than there are differences. Um, I think well, I think to to really unpack it, you'd have to go um, look at the differences between, say, a trainer, an animal trainer, and a behaviorist. And mm. um, we kind of get confused. Mm. Firstly, there is no um, there's no governing body. There's no uh, no anyone can call themselves a behaviorist. Mm. Uh, but if you are looking for someone who you want to work with animals the same way as it would be if you want someone to actually work with your kid um you need to have someone who's actually studied a little bit um, mm. and qualified through an organization that is respectable because there's a lot of misinformation out there um as there is with children and so um i think the one of the, the differences is very much that when you when you look at training you're looking at a lot of stimulus response you're looking at rewards punishments um the dog sits, you give them a treat, they sit again. Mm -hmm. When it comes to behaviorism, you're really focusing on emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think that was where it kind of led me. I, I became a behaviorist and then had children. And then it was helpful because I'd looked at a lot of emotional studies. Um, and you'll see in uh, positive discipline, they talk about the differences between, you know, in schools, primarily people look at the work of uh, Pavlov and Skinner and uh, positive discipline, discipline looks at the work of, you know, Rudolf Dreikers and Alfred Adler and behaviorists will look at emotions where we study um, um, uh, the genius named Jörg Punksepp and he identified seven core emotions of the mammalian brain. And so what we do is we look at the emotionality of the animal and that really helped when it came to looking at the emotionality of my children. However, humans are a lot more complex because we have a much bigger neocortex. And um, so our emotional sort of stratosphere is so much bigger. So we have things like guilt and shame and all these higher cortical processes that animals don't necessarily have. We don't know if they have them. When we look at studies of brains, a lot of the time it, it's not um, because they don't share the same homologous anatomy that we do. It's, we can make the assumption that they don't necessarily feel guilt. They don't necessarily feel shame. They don't necessarily feel jealousy. And because we can't talk to them, we can't really identify if they can or not. So the assumption is that they can't. And so we're working on a much um, simpler playing field. Whereas with animals, we'll look at, they either see things as safe or dangerous. And we can, you know, as humans, we look at things in much more complexity. Um, but for the, for the most part, the mammalian brain is the mammalian brain. And so if you root it all back down to the emotions, which is the core of why we do anything, um, then there really are many more similarities than there are differences. Sure. So if I was to ask you, like, let's say, okay, I'll give you my example. We've got, right. I, I haven't matched parenting and pets yet so i'd love to start okay. doing that so we have a dog who's like shame she was a rescue i don't think she had much socialization with people or um animals or anything so when we got her she was very strange she didn't know how to dog that's how i say it like okay. she just wasn't <laughs> yeah. like a normal dog so um yeah so what sort of like intervention would you do with a dog like would you observe them and how does it normally work when you do a, a session so depending on what the problem is, you would get a history about that dog. And so exactly like you say, was it from a shelter? Was it from a kennel? Did it grow up in a foster home? All these things that happen during what we call the socialization period, which is from 0 to 16 weeks of the dog's life, all contribute to what that dog is going to be for the rest of his or her life. 
And um, if they've had a sort of a bit of an isolated socialization period where they haven't been exposed to many different stimuli, many people, other animals, other dogs, um, then they will usually exhibit behaviors that are not characteristic for that species. Um, most of the dogs that we know as pet dogs are vastly under socialized mm. as a rule of thumb. The, the rule is to actually introduce your dog to a hundred different humans and a hundred different dogs, cats, animals before they are eight weeks old. Wow. And that's very, very short period of time to do all that. Um, and if they've done that, then they realize that this is a huge bank account of memories that um, those things are not to be afraid of. Once 16 weeks happens, and it's earlier in certain types of dog like terriers and um, herding types, they, they have a shorter socialization period up to about 14 weeks. Um, after that, everything is met with suspicion. So is it going to kill me? It might. So if they've met nothing, if they've never met people of different races or different hair colors or people who wear beanies, that's one of the big ones. Um, you've had your dog for the whole time. They've known you. They grow a great bond with you. You put a beanie on your head and they have no idea who you are anymore because um, they've never seen a beanie. And um, so you would look at the history of the dog and um, you would look at lots of things that, the, that the, all the history that the, that the person would be talking to you about. My son is coming to say hello. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> it's a parenting yeah, podcast, so we're used to it. <laughs> it's a parenting podcast. So, um, anyway, uh, so yeah, you'd look at the history and then you would assess the dog from the behavior that you could see, that you could observe. Obviously, with humans, you can talk. Um, the animals, you can only really make assumptions from what you're seeing them doing. And um, that's to kind of get yourself away from making assumptions that might not necessarily be true. So if you're only looking at what's observable, uh, then you have a better chance of looking at what's really going on instead of you know, only getting the owner's interpretation of what might be happening. Um, and so we observe the dog and then we put in place uh, strategi strategies to uh, adapt that behavior to something that's more acceptable and something that's more beneficial for the dog or cat. Okay. So is it similar to like um, the belief behind the behavior in positive discipline? Like you try and, no, not really. Very much. No, it really is very much so. Um, so uh, we, 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 can't, we wouldn't call it beliefs because we're not sure about what animals have in terms of their belief structures, but we would have it in terms of um, what that dog has been bred to do, what their makeup is. So we would divide up their day in terms of a hedonic budget, how much that dog needs and how much, uh, to do certain things. So a herding type of dog would need to herd um, sheep, that's what they were bred to do. And if they don't have that opportunity to have that mental stimulation, then that's going to cause some fallout that would maybe be um, expressed in something like nipping children or digging holes in the garden or trying to chase the cat. And so you need to give that dog the amount, uh, the, the, the right amount of um, expression for that natural behavior in a, in a way that will allow them to express it that's acceptable to you as the owner and also to them in a healthy way. So in terms of our beliefs, um, I, I would say for us, it would be children have the need to play, but if they're not, if they're not given the opportunity to play, then that might be expressed in some form of maybe hitting or biting or something to that effect. Um, whereas, and, and the same would go with the dog. If they're not given the ability, the, the outlet for that sort of need, then that would express itself in a very undesirable way through their behavior. Okay. Cause I've noticed like, if I think of my child, 
I look at, okay, the mistaken goal chart from positive discipline mm -hmm. and I'll say, I'm feeling a little bit irritated right now. I think she mm -hmm. wants attention and I'll look and see. Now I feel the same right. with my dog. She's getting on my nerves. Right. She's irritating me. Would it be similar? Like, is it an attention seeking thing? Could it, could we say that? That's a really interesting question because to be honest, I haven't ever thought of it in terms of my emotion to my dog. I look at it a little bit from the dog's perspective. I would see it as what, what is the dog doing and what has the previous outcome been? So if your dog is sort of nagging at you and then you go, oh, no dog, stop it now. You're still giving that dog attention. And so if he was actually trying to vie for your attention, then that attention has been rewarded, which means that's going to happen again. Um, if it, if, if you, the, you know, uh, bring, if the dog brings a tennis ball and pops it on your lap and then you throw it and say, no, go away. That dog has got you to throw the ball. So it's more about what the dog has gotten in return for that behavior and behavior that's been rewarded will always um, continue to exist. Okay, sure. It's, it's so fascinating to me. I'm, I'm looking forward to even learning more after this. Um, then I wanted to ask you, um, has positive discipline, even since you'd already done the, the animal behavior and everything, has positive discipline changed your perspective on your own children and yeah, the way you look at children in general? So much, so much, so much, so much. I think what I was doing is um, looking at them in terms of their emotion from a, from a Panxepian perspective. So when I had, so when my two-year-old was having massive tantrums, I knew that it was from an internal place that it wasn't because they were being naughty and it wasn't because they were horrible children and bad people. It was from an emotional um, unrest. However, I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know how to address the situation. So in animal behavior, a lot of the time you would look at an extinction burst. So if a previously rewarded behavior doesn't get rewarded, then that animal will have increased vigor and will try harder to get what they want, which is very much what children do. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so what you would do in an animal world is you would try and put that behavior into extinction by ignoring the behavior until it went into an extinction burst, which means it gets increasingly and increasingly more severe until the behavior goes away. And once the behavior goes away, then you can respond. And so I felt that's what I was trying to do with my first child. Um, but it didn't really work because you're not actually addressing what that internal struggle is. And you're not addressing, um, like you say, with the uh, mistaken goals chart, that the behavior could be a, a, an expression of many different reasons. There could be a foundation that, that is rooted in a whole different um, in a, uh, from different perspectives. And if you, uh, if you address it differently, uh, so, for example, if it's undue attention that they're looking for, but you're addressing it as if it's revenge, you're not going to have the, cor the correct result at the end of the day because you haven't addressed that emotion from the child. So I found it incredibly helpful to kind of narrow down what my kids were doing and why in that particular situation. And then obviously how to respond and how to learn from that for the future. And I think that's amazing with positive discipline is just having so many options to respond with and then seeing what works best for what child. And yeah, I've yeah. also found that really amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then just, yeah, in terms of positive discipline, how has it, um, how has it sort of changed your, your life and your, the way things happen with your children? Have there been any other changes that you just like, wow, I don't know what I would do without positive discipline. So many, <laughs> so many. I think that uh, two of the most fundamental changes have been my morning routine 
where um, I am a get up and go. Um, I sort of wake up at the very last minute and then I rush to get ready. Um, and and uh, then, and my son is the same. He also likes to wake up late, but the difference is that he likes to take his time to do everything. And so I was trying to speed everything up and no matter how many times I try to make it into a game or make it into a race and I had all these things that I was doing, I was still trying to do it and I wasn't giving the power and giving him the capability to do it himself. And so that was a huge change for us was actually making him feel capable. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other is to address the two children together. So when they fight, um, it was always, you know, intervene, intervene, intervene. Mm -hmm. And now it's a lot more about conflict resolution and about letting them sort things out themselves and teaching them the tools to actually work together as opposed to coming to mom to always solve all the problems. And that's been completely life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. And how amazing is it? Because, I mean, I use that now with my little ones and they, how old are your children? So my son is about to be five and then my youngest will be two in August. Oh, so also young. Okay. Yeah. And my children are almost four and almost two also in August. That's right. weird. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't believe how already, okay, my youngest, not as much, but how already the problem solving and conflict resolution is making so much more sense. Yeah. It's, yes. it's amazing how something so simple. Completely. And I think even with the younger one who is not really ready for it yet i can see he's not he's just on the brink of it but just mm -hmm. practicing it with um isaac my eldest it allows him to well first of all it allows us to practice that language because i think mm -hmm. a lot of this is boils down to um you know you learn it and then you still struggle with it and you keep thinking why am i still struggling i know this theory so well why is it still so hard and it does boil down to how you know we were raised and you know i my parents were wonderful and i have no complaints about them but they didn't know better and so a lot of the things that they did were the conventional wisdom of if i'm having a tantrum and i'm slamming the door take the door off the hinges you know it's not addressing the emotion and yeah. so my internal language is still that of my childhood and so it's really hard to try and change that dialogue but because i'm having the dialogue with isaac and practicing it and practicing practicing it with noah he's now picking up problem solving and he's becoming more generous and more kind and he um, it's not about, um, you know, selfishness and it's, mm. it's, it's really about problem solving, which is just mind blowing to me because there's never blame. There's no shame and there's no, um, because before when I, when I studied, um, behavior, obviously punishment has been off the table for many, many years. Mm. Um, that's not a non, uh, it's a non-entity in my life because it's, it doesn't work and, um, I haven't had to worry about it, but in terms of things like, you know, shame and, um, and, and well, you know, if, if you don't do this, then you can go to your room, stuff like that, that you kind of don't even know you're doing at the time, but yeah. you're still using things, um, that were used when you were a kid. Uh, it, it's, it's being able to have this conversation with Isaac allows me to practice for Noah. And it's just so much easier and everything's become, um, such a dream, even now going through, you know, the approaching the terrible twos, um, it makes it so much easier because we're having this practice while they're young. And I just feel like as they get older, it's just, it's so, it's every single challenge you have. I kind of look forward to the challenges now because how am I going to solve this one? It's going to be great. Instead of dreading, oh my word, what's going to happen when he goes to school? Oh my word, what's going to happen when he becomes a teenager? Now I'm looking forward to all these things and parenting in itself has actually become a joy instead of this, um, you know, drudge that every single day I had to get through the day to make through the tantrums and the craziness. Um, so I, complete, you know, 180 has, has been my life. I now enjoy it where before I actually didn't. 
Oh, that's amazing. And it's, it's amazing how just by you and I doing the same course, we are coming mm. to the same conclusions. Like I feel exactly the same when I hear people saying, Oh, I'm dreading the teen years. I'm like, there's so much you can do. There's so much you can work exactly. on. Yeah. It's so <laughs> yeah. exciting. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So then, um, yeah, to finish off, I just wanted to ask how could people get hold of you if they want either of your services, the behavior, uh, sorry, the animal behavior or the positive discipline. Well, uh, you can get hold of me or you can e send me an email, which is jess at bestbehavior.co.za. Um, my website, www.bestbehavior.co.za is for animal um, training on its own. Um, and then I do have a Facebook page for my parent stuff, which is um, Best Behavior Parent Education and Training. Um, and so they're both best behavior. It encompasses all of it because we're all behavior, animals and human alike. Um, and, and yeah they can contact me through facebook or through my websites when yeah if anybody needs anything okay awesome also the midrand, so the midrand spca page as well um i do a lot of work with the midrand spca okay. to um do awareness and um I, I give we do have a segment on um on ask the behaviorist if you want to ask me questions then i answer them for you uh and there's top tip tuesdays which is a uh, weekly behavior bite that people can get examples, um, you know, uh, stuff that they can do with their animals and how to solve certain problems, that kind of thing. Um, okay. So the Midrand SPCA is a really good one to follow for a lot of the work that I do. Okay, I'll definitely be following that because, I'm, yeah, we need it for our dogs. <laughs> I'm getting the kids right, now I need to get the dogs right. <laughs> That's so awesome. it's the baby steps, you got to yeah. take it one step at a time. One step at a time, exactly. So thanks so much for joining me. That was really, it was such an awesome chat. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'd love to do this again sometime. Yeah. Thanks.